Happy August. Yeah, it's August now. Wow, that summer went by very fast. Still feels like summer, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still super hot as summer. And speaking of super hot, our podcast is running hot right now. <laughs> yeah, almost as hot as Catherine. Oh, I actually am very hot. It's really hot in my loft. If you think that we are a hot podcast, then the please, hottest. yeah, tell us about it on Apple Podcasts. You are able to rate and review. If you follow us on other streaming platforms, make sure you subscribe. That way you can be updated on new episodes. And what else do we have to announce, Brittany? If you want to go above and beyond, you're more than welcome to join our Facebook group. It's called the Fiddle and Pipe Forum, and it is a public group. You will get the inside information on the hottest podcast to date. Stop laughing at me. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to go extra above and beyond, we do have a Patreon, and we're also active on Anchor. Catherine, do you want to take away with the details? On Patreon, you can follow us at patreon.com slash fiddleandpipe. We have a $5 monthly tier where you will get bonus content of bloopers and our extra podcast, which is Fiddle and Pipe Happy Hour. So if you want to sit back and relax with a drink, that is where you can listen to us. And we kind of just talk about things in our lives because we have things in our lives that always don't pertain to music. And we just updated it with a bunch of stuff too. So if y'all want to hop on that now, that would be a good time to do so. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Anchor Support. What are those tiers, Brittany? There are three tiers. They're all per month. It's $9.99, $4.99, or $9.99. It's basically crowdsourcing. So it's one of the ways that podcasts can generate income. We can use it to make our podcast better, buy new equipment, new books, have other guests on. We do have lofty plans for our podcasts. And, you know, if we can make a buck doing it, we would... I mean, that'd be nice too, right? <laughs> Everything is appreciated, and we will definitely announce your support in our announcements. So, mm-hmm. thank you. Last but not least, if you want to follow us on Instagram, I am at Cat Flinch Flute. And I'm always at BM Ross Music. Check it. Yeah, let's listen to the podcast now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Blencham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Hello, Fiddle and Pipe peeps. Happy Wednesday. It feels weird that you're saying that because I know it's not Wednesday today that we're recording. We're recording on a Monday. But it's Wednesday. (laughs) Yay! Yay. It's Wednesday in Fiddle and Pipe time. I guess this is the last week of July. That's exciting. We're getting into August. And it's Leo season by this time, which I am a Leo. So hello, fellow Leos out there. Rawr. Oh, I know. Rawr. (laughs) Rawr. (laughs) When I used to work at Pizza Hut, one of my friends who was a manager he would call me a lion because every time I would take down my ponytail at the end of my shift, my hair would be all over the place. And he'd be like, she's like a lion. Did I ever tell you about the time where I got sexually harassed at a Brewers game in Milwaukee? You told me about 
when you got super drunk at a burst. Yeah, this is the same game. <laughs> oh! But before I got super drunk, I, okay. I went up to a, a vendor to get a beer, and I showed the guy my ID, which is a Georgia ID, and he looked at it, and this is a guy, like a gross fat white guy, maybe in his, like, 40s or 50s. He took my ID, and he's like, well, aren't you a Georgia peach? Gross. And I was like, ugh. Cringe. And I was like, I'm not going back to you. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just going to be flat out and honest. And every time I hear, oh, well, aren't you just a Georgia peach? I'm like, gross. One, you make me not like peaches. Like, get away from me. I love peaches. <laughs> yeah. And then two, stop. Just stop. Like Stranger danger. Yeah. Like, this is my home. Do you think this is flattering? It's not flattering, ladies and like, gentlemen. Like, did your parents raise you to think that saying this shit's okay <laughs> no that's what i always think whenever some it's always it's always older white guys and they always say dumb shit like this and i'm like did your parents really raise you to like catcall and sexually harass women like what the hell's wrong with you check yourself seriously anyway happy wednesday morning starting off bright and early with a sexual harassment but you know what <laughs> Maybe we should talk about this and not give a fuck because we're reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. The more I read this, the less fucks I give. Oh, actually, I should... <laughs> so, do you have Hulu? Yes. Okay, have you watched Solar Opposites yet? No. Oh my god, watch David it. Might. I think David checked it out. Watch it. Watch okay. it. If you like Bob's okay. Burgers, you would like this. Um, okay. Anybody that has Hulu watch. and... If you want to watch it, it's, it's called Solar Opposites. It's like an animated adult series on Hulu, and it's about these aliens that live on Earth. <laughs> um, hmm. It's really good. I'm I'm kind of hooked onto it right now, but I always keep falling asleep because I get so comfortable in my couch, and then I pass out within 10 minutes like I always do. But there's this one episode, I don't remember what season it was, but, like, Sigourney Weaver shows up, <laughs> hmm. and she has this, like, N-F- G tattooed on her wrist and they're like mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver why are you here and she's like I have no fucks given <laughs> just, that's a mood <laughs> and I literally just thought about the show I was just like oh my god or not the show the podcast we should probably get tattoos like that NFG on there <laughs> yeah just matching on our wrists it'd be cute <laughs> and like she just like laid out her wrist like this <laughs> Like, palm yeah. extended. <laughs> She's like, I have no fucks given. So, um, yeah, that, that happened. I think I watched that last night, and I was like, oh, how ironic. I'm recording with Brittany tomorrow, and I should probably <laughs> mention this show to her. <laughs> it's really good, I'll though. Check it out. It's really good. Yeah, you get the life of an a- the alien family, and then one of the aliens, and this is what captured my attention was because one of the aliens whenever he doesn't like anybody he shrinks people (laughs) and he puts them in this ant farm in his room and it's this Mm -hmm. giant wall and the ant farm people are like living a complete opposite life where it's like oh like tyranny and people like scavenging for things because they basically live off candy that got dark real fast (laughs) it's it's really good i i mean woody got me hooked to it because he started watching it one night and i was like what is this and so um it's pretty good and you started watching it yeah it's pretty good i like it so anyway the book what are we reading today Yay. we can read okay so uh today we did chapters three and four mm-hmm. chapter three is you are not special i'm not 
No, you're not. Thanks. I think you are. <laughs> well, you're not special, Brittany. Oh, I know that. Like, that's not surprising at all. I didn't say it, though. Mark Manson said it. So let's just put the finger blame on that, on him. I don't give any fucks what he says. So you are not special. Everyone is led to feel special literally for no reason, and it leads to a sense of entitlement. He has this whole blurb about participation trophies, which I took a note about. I put LOL to participation awards. <laughs> well, the reason why I thought it was funny, and I, I'm I'm taking less notes because I'm trying not to be as structured, so when you put a lot of pressure on me to lead these conversations, I really feel like I should probably take better notes. Millennials are blamed a lot for having the need for participation trophies, for everyone feeling better about themselves. Um, a lot of... What does he say? Well, I, f- I feel like it was kind of like handed down to us because when I think about... When I was thinking about this participation award scenario, I was thinking about when we used to do like... At least in my first school, I, I remember this being a constant thing when we did like science fair projects or something or like a research project of some sort. And, like, granted, like, when I was around this age, I was, like, seven, six years old, and we would be doing little things like this. It wasn't anything intense. But I remember, like, when we did projects like these, we would um, post our projects, like, present our projects in our classrooms. And then when we were done, we would go to the library and put up our poster boards that we all had. And then Mm -hmm. there was, like, a day or something or a morning where I remember, I don't know who judged these projects. Mm -hmm. Um, It could have been teachers. It could have been anybody. But they would go around the projects and look into the research and stuff. And then they would put Mm -hmm. ribbons on each project. And so you get, like, if you did really well, you get first place. If you did okay, you got second. If you did okay, you did third. And then... If you didn't do that great, you would get a green participation ribbon. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't have... I'm pretty sure, like, there's some box somewhere in my things back in Georgia where I have, like, old ribbons and stuff from, like, competitions. I'm sure, like, this is probably thrown in there. But... How many green ribbons do you I remember have? I got a green ribbon, and I'd just be like... Oof. I remember I'd be so pissed. <laughs> I'd be like, I really worked hard on this. I worked hard on looking up the potato famine in Ireland. How dare they? Even though I'm, like, not that Irish, but anyway. (laughs) The reason why I thought this was funny was because people blame millennials. Millennials, I did a deep dive because the whole generational gaps are very interesting to me. So, uh, of course, the beginning and end dates are a little hairy with generations because it's different no matter where you look. Millennials go from about the late 70s to the mid 90s. Some people say that there's like a mini generation called, I think I'm going to pronounce it wrong, it's like Xennials, which is between Gen X and Millennials, and that's the late 70s to the early 80s. Mm. So we were, we were kids, you know, we were this age in the late 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. It wasn't us. He says here that this mindset actually crosses all socioeconomic and age statuses and it developed sometime in the 60s this is our parents shit this is our well yeah and that's why when i go back to that participation green ribbon award i'm sitting there and i'm like why like when i thought about it too when i was reading this i was like why did they give this to us like i don't 
just tell us that we we passed, but we didn't get first, second, or third. You know, it's just like we used to have. Um, I remember at the same school that I went to, we used to have like we our field day. We called it the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or Olympic day. Yeah, and we, I mean it was a really fun thing. Like each class was its own country. And we got to choose what country we were we wanted to be, which was really fun. And there was a parade and everything, and it was a week-long thing. Like, it wasn't just a day. It was a week-long thing. And there were actual events, by the way. I'm a pro at eating watermelon because I definitely won a gold medal for that as a five-year-old. <laughs> I remember when we did that, they actually got, like, we had these little medals. You had gold, you had silver, and you had bronze. But if you didn't, mm-hmm. if you didn't make third place, then you didn't get shit. And you know what? I was okay with it. I was totally mm-hmm. fine with it. But mm-hmm. that green ribbon participation thing, I did not understand. I would just be like, I wasn't good enough for third. The reason why he says that this happened is because in the 60s, uh, research found that people who thought highly about themselves generally performed better and caused fewer problems in society. So everyone kind of took that and ran with it. So now you have a bunch of people who are you know, Gen X and millennial ages thinking that they are very entitled or sorry, uh, thinking that they are very special, which leads to entitlement, thinking that they deserve special treatment Mm -hmm. for everything or they need acknowledgement for everything, which again is something that's been targeted as the fault of millennials, but we were anywhere from not being born to about 10 when this came about. I mean, I definitely feel like I've had instances growing up where I definitely feel felt entitled or spoiled. I think we all have. Yeah, like, not saying that, like, that's the way I live nowadays. And I, and I try not to be. I feel like there are moments where I do feel as an entitled individual. And I do look back on that and I'm like, well, should I be? Like, that's how I kind of think about it. I'm like, no... I'm, I feel like I'm more humble, or try to be humble, as best I For me, what I've noticed with myself recently is that I'll feel slighted if someone doesn't acknowledge something that I did. Like, if I, for example, uh, this morning, I, for an hour and a half, I hardcore vacuumed and mopped our floors. And if, if David didn't acknowledge that, I'd be like, oh, really? I kind of put all that effort into it? And, you know, but that is in a sense, a sense of entitlement that I feel towards David's emotions. I feel entitled to have that acknowledgement that I worked hard. Yeah, no, I get that 100%. I feel that way with music, especially, like, mm-hmm. if I feel like I'm playing really well and don't get acknowledged for it at, like, a rehearsal or anything, I'm just like, well, what the fuck am I doing here? But I can't, mm-hmm. but what I'm trying to do now is not, just not take things so seriously and take things with a grain of salt. I feel like this goes really well with how we are in 2021. Um, Catherine and I, for those of you who don't know us, we are two white women. We are not, at least we're not white men. So it could be worse. We were still a little bit oppressed, but not as oppressed as uh, people of color. We're at a point in our history where we are really learning to check ourselves and everything that we're doing. I think this this applies because this was written in 2016. Not too long. That's not too long off from where we are. Not too long ago. I think it's it's really enlightening to read this chapter now when we are really almost hyper-scrutinized in everything that we're doing and how can we, as a society, better ourselves. I agree 100%, and I think about that. I think I've been thinking about that a lot more 
since last year. Mm-hmm. I definitely know that I've been more um, aware about me and what I say, what I do, what I've experienced in the past, what I'm experiencing currently. And for me personally, I think a lot, there are people out there that have had it worse than I have. And oh, yeah. I can't sit there and be like, oh, woe is me. My life sucked. I'm going to say we both have white privilege. Exactly. So I kn- we both have had to work for what we have. And I'm not trying to discredit that, but at the same time, we were both born with the advantage of being white. Both born into middle-class families that have access to good education systems. Exactly. And we haven't dealt with racism as often as people of color have. And that's what I realized, too, is like... Well, it's actually not racism towards white people. It's just prejudice because racism has this whole level of socioeconomic power status to it mm-hmm. that you can't really you can't oppress white people in this country like that we should have had this conversation with matt on again yeah for those of you who don't know matt is a black man so this would have been a good conversation to have him on board with <laughs> he will be back though so he said he wants to end the book with us so yeah so maybe we'll just you know bring up race with a black man uh so getting back to not giving a fuck about anything Adversity and failure are necessary to make yourself a better person. I think that the tie-in was that he was saying that if you're entitled, you feel like you should kind of get everything handed to you on a silver platter, but you adversity and failure are necessary to make yourself into a well-rounded, developed person. You have a better sense of self-worth from how one feels about one's negative traits and how if they go about improving them. I don't know what you want to make of that. What I put down was entitled people hide away from their problems more than accepting them. Yeah. And I don't know, again, this just kind of goes back to what I've been more aware of. Like, I I just know that I can't avoid my problems. And there's times where, like, you know, sometimes, like, if I say something, and I think about this with social media because I think he brings up social media a lot in this book. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, and I've talked about it with my therapist, you know, if you post something on social media, whether it's, like, a good thing or something that's just over the top or something that's not necessarily in favor of what people want to see on their feed, because I'm sure, mm-hmm. again, social media is one of those platforms where people just post all the good things. And Basically. You know, I definitely have thought back to, like, when I've posted certain things, you know, I've been angry about things and I'll put Mm -hmm. an example of this was when that uh shooting in Atlanta happened back in March and Mm -hmm. it happened literally down the street from where I live and I know exactly where what this place was this is a local place next to my dog's vet next to the grocery store that I went to and that's scary and that pisses me off and it happened the next day when that one officer (sighs) of that one depart- police department was like, oh, that guy had a bad day, that really ticked me off. Because of that comment, I was like, oh, if you are mad about this, go email him. Here's his email. I looked it up on the website. I know exactly where it is. Mm-hmm. Because I was angry, and I, I did send an email, and I was like, I, I, I sent an email. I don't think that ever got read. But I was just like, you know, I'm angry about this, and I don't think that was an appropriate comment to say. Like, it wasn't. How many of us, raise your hand if you've had a bad day before? Raise your hand if you've shot someone because you had a bad day. Don't see very many hands in the audience. When I when I look back at it now, because I have been, 
I'm sure a lot of people don't like me because I did that. And you know what? I can't sit there and wonder about I can't. Because you know what? People are either going to like me or not. I can't change that their minds. I really can't. Mm-hmm. But was it professional me? Absolutely not. It was not. And I did not care at that moment. And do I think about it? Yeah, I do think about it. But at the same time, I just... I was really rash on that decision, and I look back at that now. Was it wrong of me? Probably, yeah. I wouldn't say it was wrong. I mean, is that something that in your day-to-day life that you give a fuck about? Do you want to waste your energy thinking about that? And I don't. If anyone's going to judge you for honestly giving uh, someone who feels entitled enough that if they're pissed off that they can take someone's life, that you gave him a little bit of crap. Like, fuck that shit. I look back at stuff like that I've done with that and I what I think about now is like if something like that happens like should I be a little bit I should probably be a little bit more rational I try to just you know be open up and honest about my problems and accepting like you know I'm I'm a flawed person I'm not perfect and you know I've lived a majority of my life trying to be perfect trying to say this say things that people want to hear trying to portray myself what people want to see and I'll be very honest with you growing up and doing that I felt miserable I did not feel happy I did not feel like my true self and oh it kills you yeah and I think like I don't know that's what just got me thinking when I was reading about this entitlement thing and how people kind of hide away their problems and you know I tried that, and guess what? It just literally, all it did was just build up until finally I just broke down. And yeah. that was when I finally was like, okay, I just need to be more honest with myself. I need to be more open with myself and not just with me, but share that to people. Again, that's why social media is such a vulnerable place. Again, people don't want to share as much vulnerability. They want, they want to show the great things. I'm not saying the great things are bad. I guess, like, for me, I don't want to just hide what I'm struggling with and all that relate. Maybe other people feel bad about some actions that they've done. I think the perception of social media is really interesting because I'm a very blunt person Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. most things. I'm a very honest person. You are. (laughs) But I'm relatively private on social media, and that's because I don't feel the need to broadcast certain things to the world. Mm-hmm. But I don't look down on others who will use that platform for that purpose. It just depends. I mean, social media, it's, it's your accounts. So you do what you want with them. And like everything else, you have to live with the consequences, good or bad, of what that entails. And this is something that I talked about with my therapist. You know, she was like, when you put yourself out there, like you're putting out everything. Like you're very vulnerable. And, you know, I sit there and I'm like, you know, I've posted things that I've liked. I've posted things that I've not liked. And I'm not going to, I don't think that's ever going to stop me. I'm not going to just say goodbye yeah. and hide from the face of the earth. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm going to keep learning from what I post, what I say, what I do. I definitely look back and see what I have done in the past. And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe I understand that this was probably not the most logical thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I'll learn from that. The next time around and see how can I how can I be better mm-hmm. can I read a quote from the book yes a true measurement of self-worth is not how a person feels about her positive experiences but rather how she feels about her negative experiences that's what I was trying to say earlier so you actually gain more from how you feel about your negative traits and you know take another step further how you go about Proving them. Yeah. Because you can't just be like, oh, I'm a 
shitty person because I'm always late. It's like, okay, well, first off, that's a little drastic. You're not a shitty person because you're always late. You have a tendency to be always late. So what can we do to improve that? Make you on time. Yeah, Yeah. to make you on time. He had a whole section on trauma with a capital T that I found very interesting. He calls it, quote, real traumatic shit. He says real traumatic shit, or I call it trauma with a capital T, causes us to feel helpless, which can result in a sense of entitlement as a natural defense. Either feeling like I'm great or I'm awful and I deserve special treatment. If you think you're awful, your problems will never be fixed because you just beat yourself up and that's kind of it. And if you think- Oh, been there. Yeah, and if you think you're great, then you're never going to fix your problems because you don't have any problems in your eyes. I mean, I used to think about this a lot more when I was in undergrad because I was a lot more insecure in undergrad. But I remember, like, because I wouldn't, because I didn't play at a certain level like somebody else did that was highly praised. Mm -hmm. Or if I didn't present myself in a way in class or didn't get a certain topic. Like, I struggled a lot with theory music theory my not my first year my second year and I remember I just there were days where I just truly didn't understand what was going on and I felt less of a person because of that I felt less of a musician because I didn't understand things and so I beat myself up all the time I was be like I have to study I have to do this I have to show to prove people that I I legit like serious about this I would show up to practice rooms at 7 a.m every morning I would be go, go, go all the time. And I just beat myself up, like, all the time for doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I cried a lot in grad school, but I also cried a lot in undergrad. Yeah, I I could count the number of sad showers I had in undergrad. Or, sorry, not undergrad, grad school. That just sounds so sad. (laughs) I don't know, there's there's something really refreshing about having a good cry and then taking a shower. Crying in the shower. Crying in the shower is also nice. Because you don't have to worry about wiping away those tears. They're just going to fall Like pro tip from Fiddle and Pipe. If you're going to sob, do it in the shower. Or take exactly. a shower after. I don't know. It just it kind of feels nice. Like you just, all your shit just kind of washes down the drain. It's like being reborn like a phoenix or something. people have had similar traumas and have reacted the same way that you react to yours. I think that this is really helpful. Um, I definitely have some serious like trauma with a capital T that I don't really want to talk about on this podcast. But I, as I was reading it, I was thinking about my own shit and I was thinking, I was like, I'm, I'm not very entitled. Like I'm not, I'm not a super entitled person, but I guess I have to some degree throughout parts of my life kind of expected people to have some kind of idea of what I've been through and to treat me a little bit differently because of that. And very subconsciously, I've realized that. Interesting. I have not. I've experienced trauma. You know about it. Mm -hmm. I do not want to talk about it on this podcast because this is not the appropriate place. We don't have to. But I honestly, and I probably did not handle my trauma as well as I wish I did nowadays. I feel like that's almost like a defining feature of trauma is to not handle it well when it happens. I literally hid it from people. Mm-hmm. There, I think, I think a, f- a handful of people 
know, my parents know, and that's it. Yeah. Nobody else knows. And I literally just, it's literally scarred me. Mm-hmm. And there are days where I'm okay, and then other days where I'm not. David and I have been watching this show called Sweet Tooth on Netflix. It's on Netflix? Yeah. Is it? Is it with Debbie Reynolds? I don't know. Is that her name? I don't know names. It's based... Is it about... It's is based, it about, like, a... It's based on a comic series. It's about, basically, these hybrid people who live among people, and there's also a virus at the same time. Never mind, I'm thinking about another show. Sorry. The kid was talking to his dad, and the dad was saying, you know, sometimes the kid asked if something that, some action that he did, if it was right or wrong, because the kid's only, like, ten, and the dad's like, well, you know, that's part of growing up, is not having definite rights or wrongs. You just kind of have to go with what's in your gut, or your heart. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, I always have to, I always second guess myself and I try not to. Mm-hmm. That's something I'm working on. That's, that, this is a lifelong work in progress. You also have that's... a sense, of, you also have a tendency to over-justify yourself. Yes, I do, like today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and I actually, do, just and I, now, you did too. I, I don't know why. I genuinely don't, I don't know if it's because I'm a people pleaser and I try to please people as best as I can. Because you're but... expecting people to not like whatever you have to say exactly and i don't feel like yeah that's basically it (laughs) welcome to Catherine's therapy corner (laughs) yeah so the second half of this chapter talks about exceptional people and exceptional people it kind of took me a little bit to understand what he was talking about but he doesn't necessarily mean celebrities and rich and famous people he just means anyone who is like talented or skilled in some area or basically just for lack of a better word not your average joe he talks about how overexposure to exceptional information uh extreme emotions people exceeding in various things always feeling the need to have like the best joke causes us to feel insecure when we're not exceptional Uh, It makes us feel like we're not going to make anything our lives and then we compensate through entitlement and addiction So it's not like, oh, I'm going to go do some crack. It's (laughs) more like we just get addicted to anything that gives us pleasure. That can be uh, sex. It can be binge watching TV. It can be eating candy. Even something like over-exercising. Just something that makes you have those feel-good endorphins. This actually kind of reminds me of, and kind of getting into the, also the point of not being extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Um... Have you seen uh, extraordinary? <laughs> have you seen uh, Have you seen the film Ingrid Goes West? No. It has Aubrey Plaza. Elizabeth Olsen is in it. It's on Hulu. Watch it on Hulu. Hulu, Guys, if you want to sponsor us, <laughs> no. Hulu, we're watching your stuff. <laughs> this movie, though, I think it's been out for years, but I watch it a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love because it's so awkward. Mm-hmm. But it's so real, and it's about Aubrey Plaza, her character literally just scrolls on social media all day. Like, you watch scenes of her in the beginning of the movie, she's in the tub, scrolling through Instagram. She's in her bedroom, scrolling through Instagram. The first thing she does in the morning, scrolls through Instagram. She's liking all these things and following Elizabeth Olsen's page, who, she's an Instagram influencer, Mm -hmm. and she literally packs her bags and moves west. (laughs) To California, because um, that's where all the influencers are, I guess. I don't know. 
But she moves there, and she literally does. She goes to the same stores that Elizabeth Olsen is, like, tacking herself in, buy, like, goes to the same salon, restaurants, orders the same food. Like, she's taking pleasure in, like, I want to be, like, this person on social media. Mm-hmm. And she's literally doing all these things, but, like, when she eats the food, it's not that great because it looks gross and probably tastes like paper. When she goes to the salon, I mean, like, she changes her look and, like, things are so expensive and she's, you know, doing all these things that Elizabeth Olsen is, like, portraying on Instagram and actually becomes friends with her at a point. But it's just insane, like, how... Like, to what extremes you'll go through? Yeah. It's just, like, uh... Oh, that's so good. Just watch it. Anyway. But that that's what this kind of topic reminds me of, mm-hmm. is that movie. And if you've seen that movie, maybe you can understand or relate to that. But, yeah. Mark goes on to say that being average is a failure in the eyes of our society. And to accept that being average and realizing that being average doesn't mean that your life will be bad. David used to say this thing a few months ago, and it always would make me kind of sad when he said it, but he would just say, I feel content. I'd be like, are you, does that mean you're unhappy was always my first, not impression. I guess, yeah, impression. Him saying that it was always my first impression that he was unhappy. And he would try to explain that, no, it just means I'm content. I'm not ecstatically happy, but I'm He's he was content with where his life was and how we would talk about it and he'd be like, that's not a bad thing. And it that it made me think that's what this whole being average is a failure thing made me think of because being average being just like a normal Joe shouldn't be a bad thing. But a bad it, thing. But it is inherently in our society. Mm-hmm. Eyes to be average is a bad thing. You always need to be you know, grabbing the next thing, the hot model, the trophy wife, the bigger house, the better job, but just being average is bad. Just like being content is bad. Well, I think also, again, social media comes back into this because we see these things online. I can totally get what you're saying with what, with the content thing, because it's, I think it's the same thing with okay. Yeah. I honestly hate it when somebody walks into my the coffee shop I work at, especially somebody I don't know. And they're like, how are you? You don't know me. Stop asking me that question. That's just me. My favorite thing with the how are you thing is that it's more of a small talk gesture instead of actually asking how someone is. I know, but working at a coffee shop and hearing that every single freaking five minutes, it just, I mean, I just have no patience anymore. So I think that's why it irks me. Mm -hmm. But what I really hate is when I say I'm okay and people are like, you're not happy. You're not doing. And these are people that I don't even know. And I'm like, what do you want? Like, do you want the latte or not? Like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, is okay a bad answer? And I don't think it's a bad answer because what if I'm just feeling okay? Like, I'm not feeling, okay, I'm not super ecstatic that I'm working at at a coffee shop right now because one I'd rather be in bed or cuddling with my cat during morning time morning or i rather be practicing my instrument and I'm not terrible because I could be in a worse position right now than here so mm-hmm. like okay is the answer that you're gonna get from me yeah. not I'm, a, I'm great <laughs> no you're not getting that you're getting okay Catherine yeah 
He says that exceptional people are focused on improvement and anti-entitlement. They understand that they're average and they have a desire and drive to improve. So I thought that was noteworthy. But mm-hmm. uh, a couple quotes I wrote down are, your actions don't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things. And the vast majority of your life will be boring and not worthy. And that's okay. Oh, I really like this quote. And this is from earlier. The truth is that there's no such thing as a personal problem. If you've got a problem, chances are millions of other people have had it in the past, have it now, and are going to have it in the future. Mm-hmm. Likely people you know too. That doesn't minimize the problem or mean that it shouldn't hurt. It doesn't mean you're already legitimately a victim in some circumstances. It just means that you're not special. Yeah, that's when he was talking about trauma. It's like you don't want to think that other people have been through the same kind of shit as you have because no one w- would wish their bad shit on other people but it's kind of it's kind of comforting to know that you know you're not the first and you're not the last no and i mean like the more i'm open about it with certain people the less i guess like the less alone i feel yeah it gets better yeah i mean i still feel beyond i i'm just not open about it because it's not a good part of my life i don't know when i'll, I'll ever be open about it and that's fine you don't have to be it it's your thing and it's not the stuff that happens to you, and I'm not saying, like, you in particular, but, like, you as in the listener or anyone, really, no one is entitled to know your trauma. Like, you can you can make that as public or private as you want to and as much as you have control over. Exactly. But, yeah, I think, like, sometimes I just feel alone in certain things like that. And I also feel alone sometimes when I'm second-guessing myself and wondering, like, with things I do mm-hmm. and say and... Am I doing the right thing? All that. So, I'm learning. Yeah. It's part of growing up. Oh, want to get into chapter four? Yeah, so the value of suffering. I just can't believe somebody spent 30 years in a freaking jungle. I'm just going to be honest about that. Yeah, that was crazy. Do you want to give a synopsis of that story? Hiro Anoder was a Japanese soldier in World War II, and he, he was, was assigned... second lieutenant. And he was assigned to go to the Philippines and kind of just, you know, fight for Japan and, you know, go against the American forces and all that. And he basically spent 30 years in the jungle, even past World War II time, because he had loyalty to the Japanese Empire. And basically, even with people going to him throwing down pamphlets in the middle of the jungle all that even the even the local filipino people who lived on that island telling him the war is over japan lost he's like not fan this is fake he did not believe it and then finally years later into the future this is like in the 70s a guy named norio suzuki decided to go find him and he literally called out his name in the jungle, saying the emperor was looking for him. Probably not. And he found him. And they had a conversation, and Norio was like, hey, the war is actually over. Japan lost. So like basically... A long time ago. <laughs> so basically, Hiro just kind of spent a lot of his time in the jungle. And, I mean, in this case, like, it kind of feels like, well, he spent 30 years in the wilderness... like tormenting people but he was out it was out for loyalty like he was loyal to his country that's what he believed in and that is what he was for the burden he chose to carry that's kind of the whole chapter is that you choose your suffering and if your suffering Mm -hmm. means something you're 
more likely to endure it or and maybe even enjoy it. And for Norio Suzuki's case, the guy died looking for the abominable snowman in the Himalayas. Uh, so, yeah, he was out to go find him. Probably frozen some ice. He died because of the abominable snowman. We're trying to find it. Anyway. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is why am I suffering and for what purpose am I suffering? Yeah. He talks about the self-awareness onion, which made me think that ogres are like onions. (laughs) I wrote that down too in my notes. (laughs) I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Thanks, Shrek. Ogres are like onions. (laughs) They have layers. They have layers. Like a cake? No. (laughs) Onions. Like onions. (laughs) So there are three layers. The first one is understanding your emotions. I put down that conversation about between him and his wife. I'm totally him in those conversations where people are like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. And then like 30 minutes later, I'm like, why is this happening? <laughs> and this is why I'm pissed off. Exactly. That's totally yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I know some people like that who... They will say that they feel a certain emotion, and then it's like, oh, why do you feel like that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And then after pressing or forcing them to self-reflect, it's like, oh, okay, I think I feel this way because of, Mm -hmm. you know, X, Y, Z. Well, I think I'm that way because I just, I feel personally, and again, I'm working on this, I feel like I'm a burden. I mean, you kind of are. I am. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not. (laughs) But, I mean, I feel like I don't want... I feel like a burden if I, like, bring up, like, oh, yeah, I'm not okay. You don't want to, like, force yourself on someone. Yeah, exactly. Because I I just genuinely have always thought nobody cares about what you're feeling. Nobody cares about how you're doing. And if you do, then it's just attention sinking. It's you're being a burden to them. And I think Mm. that's why I've just always, like, kind of kept to myself. But then when things build up, then I'm not okay. And, um... I think what I've been doing a lot more lately is being more open about that. Like, one night, Woody said something to me that I just didn't like. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to bed. And so then I went to bed, and then I was like, I'm not going to be okay if I just sleep on this. So then I walked out, and I just, in a rational manner, I was like, hey, I really didn't like what you said, and that really hurt me, and I wish that you would be a little bit more considerate. And he was like, okay. I'll be more considerate about that. And I was like, wow. Okay. And then I went back to bed. amazing what a little communication does. (laughs) Well, yeah, because I feel like if I just bottled up my feelings, because this is what I would usually do. I would usually just go to bed, bottle up my feelings, the next day be all pissy. And then him being like, why are you being pissy? Like, why are you being mad? You kind of can't blame him because it's like 12 hours after the fact at that point. Exactly. And And I noticed that a lot when we were first dating that I wouldn't communicate with him some of my emotions to him. Mm -hmm. And I would just expect him to know them. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I can't read your mind. I'm not a mind reader. You got to let me know. Right. And I think that really, I think I took that. And I was like, well, you know, it's true. Nobody knows. Like my boss, every time my boss comes in when I'm working, he's like, how are you? And I'm just like, I'm okay. And he really looks at me and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. But then I'll be honest, and I'll be like, well, I'm dealing with this right now, and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed today, and then he says, well, if there's any way I can help you, please let me know, even if I can't. That's nice. (laughs) I'm the kind of person that likes to bottle up their feelings and emotions, um, and I'm working on trying not to be. I'm trying to be a little bit more open and honest in that regard, and to, 
I, I guess like deal with my emotions or how can you convey them to others in a healthy manner that doesn't make you feel yes like a burden he says the second layer is the ability to ask why we feel these emotions that usually illuminates uh what we consider success and failure and it will help us understand the cause of the emotions that overwhelm us mm -hmm. third layer is your personal values and why do i consider this to be a success or failure uh, how are you measuring yourself what standard are you judging and it's constant questioning and why do i consider this to be a success or failure how am i measuring myself what standard am i judging myself and others by it determines the nature of problems which determines your quality of life mm -hmm. and then the rest of the chapter was pretty much just like elaborating on those yeah he talks about dave mustaine and pete best and how their careers if you don't know uh i i don't know much about dave mustaine because i don't listen to as much metallica as probably other people do and i i don't think i've ever heard of the band megadeth until they're pretty big they did uh you played you played um guitar hero right yeah oh they are they hangar, a guitar hero 18 Hangar 18 is one of their songs. <laughs> I'm going to play uh, as a guitar hero after this. <laughs> you would know that one. Um, I listened to a, a, a bit of Metallica. Megadeth is a little less my thing, but I know. I mean, they're another big heavy metal band. Yeah, I would know the songs. I don't necessarily invest myself in the band as much. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I knew about the Pete Best situation, because if anybody doesn't know who Pete Best is, he was the OG member of... The Beatles. He's a drummer, yeah. Yeah, pre-Ringo days. I mean, these comparisons between them, like, I kind of just think of it as this, like, Dave Mustaine, you know, he is a successful artist, but he doesn't find himself successful because he compares himself to Metallica, where Pete Bass is like, you know, this happened to me and it sucked, but, I mean, this guy has managed to have a successful personal relationship with his family, friends, career even though he's not a Beatle. He said that he's happier with his life now than if he had followed through with being a Beatle. It's kind of like, what, where are your values at? And I like mm -hmm. how M Mark Manson kind of says, like, you know, you can either have shitty values. Which are pleasure, material success, always being right, staying positive. What values mean the most to you? Like, good values are reality-based, they're socially constructive, they're controllable, they're immediate, and what do you value that's going to bring you happiness? Mm -hmm. What's going to help your life, and what's going to help you get to what you actually want? I did put down this equation in my notes. I put better fucks plus better problems equals a better life. Yay, math! <laughs> Yeah, I think I, yeah, I said self-improvement is about choosing better values to give a fuck about. So yeah, if you value, if you value, mm, I don't know, what's like an example? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about it as Ingrid Goes West because like, and this is why I want you to watch this movie because I had this realization when I last watched it a few weeks ago, but mm -hmm. basically, and I mean, again, I really like the movie, but I, I, I just came to this realization but basically, Aubrey Plaza is valuing being the most popular person on Instagram and on social media. And that's why she goes out to California to be... She literally, like, relocates her whole life. Yeah, and she's, like, trying to be this person that Elizabeth Olsen is. 
even though, like, even what Elizabeth Olsen is in real life, she's not that person that she portrays herself on Instagram. But basically, at the end, what happens is that uh, Aubrey Plaza is, like, really depressed. She's in this home. She, there's no power. She's, like, she's broke as a... She's just broke. Because um, she, she just blows all this money that she has. And she literally is sitting on, like, 1% battery. And she makes this video talking about who she is and, like, just being herself. This is who I am. I don't know if I can fix myself, blah, blah, blah. And then she turns off the video, posts it on Instagram, and then she just takes a bunch of medication and dies. Like, goes to sleep, not dies. <laughs> I was about to say die. Um, no, she does not die. I mean, the metaphor's there. Yeah. But she, um, basically, when she wakes up from this coma, Aubrey Plaza becomes friends with o uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., they have, like, a love interest, and he shows up to the hospital. Like, he's the one that called 911 and all that stuff. And she wakes up from this coma, and the first thing she wants is her phone. That's the first thing. And, like, in earlier events that happened, like, she kind of did something really crappy to O'Shea, where he ends up, like, in a scooter and, like, a neck brace and all that stuff. So she's not asking, like, how are you or anything. She just wants her phone, like that. And that reminded me of shitty values. Like, do you care more about being liked on social media versus, like, Than, do you... like, real-life relationships. Yeah, like, and, like, when you watch the film, too, you see that Aubrey Plaza and O'Shea, you know, they have, like, a, a legitimate bond. They're talking to each other and stuff like that. Like, he seems like a legit person to be friends with versus Elizabeth Olsen. <laughs> But Who's a celebrity. in the end, when you see her, like, on her phone, like, trying to see, like, who all liked her video, because then she becomes insta-famous with that video that she posted, mm. it kind of made me think about, like, wow, do I want to be this person? No. Everything's about what you prioritize, and you get your values through what you prioritize. So if you prioritize, you know, good friends, uh, hanging out with your spouse or your significant other, then you will, your values will become... You know, time management, honesty, good hangs. And you naturally have these values. So mm -hmm. if you are prioritizing stuff you don't want, that's when you get crummy values. I've definitely experienced values. this. I've definitely experienced stuff like this. Sometimes, like, you know, it takes me a while to really realize it. But, you know, I think this is a constant life battle. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's self-improvement. It's not instant gratification. He mentioned something about how long-term goals through suffering are better than instant gratification. He talks about running a marathon is more rewarding than eating a cake. How having a child is more rewarding than, you know, sitting on a nest egg of money. So it just depends on what you want out of your life. So sit down and think what you want out of your life and the values that you need to get there will sort of come naturally. Yeah, I think that's a good way to end this episode. Yeah. And I know that we got a little bit more serious and deep in this episode, but sometimes you just kind of have to have conversations like this and be, be vulnerable about them. That's how you know you have a good friend. Yeah! With Catherine. Thank you for nice listening, Brittany. Anytime. Um, thank you for listening, listener, whoever you are in this magical world that we all live in that is somewhat not magical at times. We hope you have a good rest of your Wednesday or whatever day you're listening to this. Happy hump day. Bye. Bye.